This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Will Chester and is part nine of Revealing the Heart of God, A Journey Through the Minor Prophets. Well, good morning to all of you. My name is Will Chester, and I'm the youth pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. It's a fun morning um, because we're, many of us are wearing bow ties, and if you, if you want a bow tie, and you didn't get a bow tie, and you didn't know we were wearing bow ties, I think there are still bow ties that you can pick up at the exit. So just, just sneak out there, grab a bow tie, and, and they're, they're really easy. They're just kind of like a clip-on thing. And uh, I even had to do that myself this morning because I couldn't find my bow tie. It's very small, and, uh, and my closet is, well, not very big, but it's messy. Um, okay, well, several years ago, um, I was in college, and my, my friends and I decided we were going to do one of those iconic senior road trips, and we decided we're going to go to the, the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina, and we were going to school here at Wheaton College, and so we packed up my blue Civic, and we packed up my friend's uh, silver Toyota, and, and we headed out. We headed south to go to North Carolina. And of course, uh, this was before all of us had Google Maps on our phones. We didn't have smartphones at this time. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have a GPS with us, um, but we're millennials, and so we also didn't have maps with us. Um, but, but we had printed out directions that would faithfully lead us there so long as we didn't take any wrong turns whatsoever over the course of 12 hours. Um, so, we, so we headed out, and uh, we were in Indiana, kind of stopping at a rest stop, getting gas, getting snacks. We we're all kind of anxious to get back on the road. And, uh, and so I'm in my car, and I'm waiting for the silver car to, to go ahead because I was just going to follow that car because they knew where they were going. And, uh, and we also had these walkie-talkies, which were pretty cool, because we didn't want to use minutes on our cell phones. So we had, you remember the walkie-talkies that families used to have? I miss those. Um, so we're following along, and my friends, they, in the silver Toyota, they pull out of the gas station, they're headed towards the on-ramp, and then they, they turn right too soon. And they, they should have waited a little bit more, longer to turn right, but they turn right, and now they're just going down this random road headed to this dairy farm. And if you've been to Indiana, you know that this is a very easy thing to do. I mean, you turn down practically any road and you're going to be in the middle of nowhere. That's why it's the crossroads of America. You'd only go to Indiana to get somewhere else. Don't tell Bishop Stewart I said that. Um, so we're headed down this random road and we get on the walkie-talkie and we say, what are you guys doing? You're going nowhere. And all we're hearing back from the walkie-talkie is this static. And we're like, what are you guys doing? And so I'm trying to get their attention. And so I start laying on the horn. And, and still, they're not slowing down. They're, they're almost speeding up, in fact. And so I'm like, well, how can I get their attention? And so I start tailgating them. And I'm just like, where are you guys going? Until a voice comes through the walkie-talkie like an Old Testament prophet speaking out of the ages saying, Will, what are you doing? You're following the wrong car. <laughs> he said, we're on the on-ramp right now. We're just watching you tailgate this random person. <laughs> You're going to get arrested. And so I hit the brakes, and oh my goodness, I was so smug, and now I am so chastened. Um, well, I, I tell you that story because this morning we're talking about the book of Haggai, and Haggai's a prophet, and he's speaking to the Israelites, 
And, and the Israelites are in the process of following the wrong car. The Israelites are headed nowhere. They're totally unfulfilled and dissatisfied, but they don't understand why. And Haggai is going to speak to them prophetically to tell them to wake up. You're following the wrong car. And so you can, uh, you can look in your, in your Bibles there if you, if you have one. Chapter 1, verse 9. Haggai says, You've sown much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. I mean, have you ever felt this way in your life? You put so much work and energy in, and yet it's come to so little. And so Haggai says to them, Consider your ways. It's three words. Consider your ways. Consider the possibility that there is a reason that you're unsatisfied. Consider the possibility that there's a reason that you're unfulfilled with your life and that your labors are never enough. What Haggai is doing is he is inviting them back into the story that God intends to tell through them. He's saying you're following the wrong car. You're entering the wrong story. Come back. Consider your ways. And this message is helpful for us today because, of course, discouragement and, and weariness and dissatisfaction with life is, is common amongst us, even for those of us who, who understand that we're, we're part of this, this bigger story, this bigger work that God is doing. It's very easy for, our, for our, our, uh, our concerns and the things that are motivating us to get sidetracked, where we become myopic, we become focused on our own little world instead of the big story that God is telling in the whole world, the big story that you and I are a part of as people in the church, the story of the healing of the nations through God's presence with his people. So let's, let's back up and let's get some background to the book of Haggai. Um, so if you're not open there, turn to page 11 in your bulletins, and we've put a nice little timeline in there for you, because we're kind of, we're at a watershed moment right now. So we've, all summer, if you've been with us, we've, we've been journeying through the minor prophets, these, these shorter prophetic works, basically collections of speeches given at critical times in Israel's history. And the purpose of these speeches has been to tell the Israelites, you need to wake up, you need to turn around. Because there's this global superpower, Assyria and then Babylon, this global superpower that is threatening to take over the promised land. And what the prophets are saying is that if that happens, if you get taken out of your land and brought to Babylon, if you get exiled, that's not just this accident of history like, you know, big fish eats smaller fish. And it's not just an accident of history, it's actually God's judgment upon you for harming your neighbor through injustice, through worshiping false gods, through idolatry. And the prophets are saying, turn around. And if you know this story, then you know that, by and large, Israel doesn't listen. And the people do go into exile. And so in 586 BC, that's in your timeline, the Babylonians, this huge superpower, come through and they wipe out Jerusalem. They devastate the whole city. They destroy the temple, and that's a big deal. Because have you, have you ever asked, you know, where is God? H how do I know that God is for me? That's a, that's a 
universal human question. Well, the temple was the Israelites' answer to that question. The temple was the sign, the physical sign that God is here with us, that God is for us. And so with the temple destroyed, you have Israel saying, well, where is God now? Because he promised to be there, but there doesn't exist anymore. So the city gets destroyed, the temple gets destroyed, the people get bound hand and foot and carried off into exile. And the point of exile, the point of making them leave their land is to make them leave everything behind, make them leave their culture and their traditions and their holidays and the worship of their God and to assimilate into Babylonian culture. That was the idea. But if you know your Bibles, you know that that, that's not the end of the story. In fact, before any of these things even take place, there's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who says, yeah, it's too late. Exile is going to happen. But here's the deal. It's only going to last for 70 years. And then he says, on behalf of the Lord, these words that, that you probably know. The Lord says to the people, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And yes, you'll go off into exile, but you'll, you'll come and you'll pray to me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you and I will bring you back from all the places that I have banished you. And for the Israelites, miraculously, that's exactly what happens. So look at your timelines. 586, the Babylonians conquer the Israelites, take them into exile. About 50 years later, the Babylonians themselves get conquered by the nation of Persia. And their king, Cyrus, he wants to kind of incur favor from all of the gods around the earth. So he starts sending the exiles back to their homes and even commissions them to rebuild their holy sites. And so this group of, of Jews, these Israelites living in exile, get sent back by this pagan king in order to rebuild their temple. It's a miracle, only 50 years later. And so they do this. They, they start laying the foundations of the temple, and everything is going well. And then the work stalls out. And for five years, those foundations just sit, nothing happening to them. And that's when the prophet Haggai comes on the scene. And Haggai, we're told in the book of Ezra, Haggai had this key role in motivating the people of God to rebuild the temple as this 70-year mark is approaching. So Haggai doesn't have a long ministry. He's, this, these two chapters, he basically talks four times over the course of two months. And yet he has this critical role, along with Zechariah, who we'll hear about next week. So what's the problem? Why did the people of God, why did the work stall out? How did they get caught up in the wrong story? Well, Haggai says in chapter 1, verse 2, Thus says the Lord, these people, the Israelites, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And you can understand it, right? I mean, they, they may have had the excitement at first of returning home from exile, the excitement that propelled them to do this work, but the work was difficult. And they're weary and they're discouraged. And so they do the same thing that you and I do when we're weary or discouraged because of what's happening at work or, or at home or at school. They focus inward. They become myopic. They start working on their own houses. Verse 4 says, Is it a time 
for you to dwell in your own paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. And that part about paneled houses, I mean, that's important here. Because like today, the cedar paneling was a, bit of a, was a bit of a luxury item. Cedar paneling is what you put in the temple, not necessarily in your own home. So while the temple work, while nothing's happening there, they're furnishing their home to make themselves extra comfortable. I mean, it, it's like they're, they're watching like ancient Israeli fixer-upper, right? And they're putting kind of those, those faux wooden beams up in the living room to make it look like, you know, the living room is supported by these wooden beams. And, and they're going into the bathroom and they're tearing off the drywall and they're installing shiplap to make it look like shiplap was there. And, and they're installing barn doors because doors that go left and right are, you know, more cool than doors that go out and in. So they're doing all of these things. And it's easy to tease them, but of course we're not, we're not so different than them. Like I said, when we face a particularly difficult time, we too turn inwards. We become protective of our time and our energy. And we hear someone say the word sacrifice, and we recoil and we say, no, nah, okay, okay. There was a time in my life where I sacrificed. That's not now. I'm in a new season. I'm not in a season of sacrifice anymore. And if that's you, perhaps you can resonate with the Israelites who are saying, this isn't time for rebuilding the temple. Now, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm, my, my point here is not to say that you're not doing enough, that you're not doing enough for God and his church. That's not my point at all. Because it's true, there are seasons to our life. There's balance that we need in our life. And there are times that we can go to great sacrificial lengths with our time, and there are other times where we don't have that much time. And so that's a true thing. My, my statement to you is not, you're not doing enough, but my question is, in everything that you're doing, at work or school, and everything that motivates you right now, have you lost sight of the bigger story God's work in this world, the bigger story that you're part of, the bigger story that resurrection is part of, not just the clergy sitting up here, not just Bishop Stewart, but the bigger story that you and I are part of here in the western suburbs. Have you lost sight of that story? I'll give kind of a, a few diagnostic signs that that might have happened for you. How about you feel aimless at work? It's not because you're not good at your work. You're good at what you do. People tell you that you're good at what you do, but you feel aimless there. You feel unfulfilled. You're going through the motions. Or maybe you're frustrated by the people that you live with. You're frustrated caring for your children or your parents or your roommates, and you're weary of going home to them. Or perhaps you're, you're just in general discouraged because you come to church and you leave and you don't feel connected to what's happening here. You don't feel connected to this place. You're not getting anything out of it. And if that's you, then clearly you're not alone. I mean, weariness and discouragement, these are, these are parts of life. But oftentimes our weariness and our discouragement is because our vision has become short-sighted. It's because all our eyes can see is, is our own little world, our own little paneled house, and not this bigger story that our career our retirement, our families, 
our marriages, our friendships, bigger story that all of those things are part of. We need someone like Haggai to come and speak to us and say, consider your ways. Literally, put it on your heart. Take a minute, put it on your heart. He says, to this, he says this to them twice. Don't let life just happen and assume that this is just the way it is. But think for a moment, be honest. What story are you living in? What car are you following? Is it going anywhere? And there's nothing wrong, of course, with having a paneled house with being successful, with with having possessions, with getting good grades, with getting a college acceptance letter from the place that you long to get a college acceptance letter from. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But in the long run, they won't fulfill your life. If those are your chief motivation, they're gonna leave you unsatisfied. And the only way that any of those things will ever be a blessing to you is if they find their part in the bigger story that God is telling through you and through his church. And so what is that story? Well, one way of putting it, the story is that that you, like the Israelites, have been chosen by God. You have been chosen to minister God's healing presence to the ends of the earth. You have been chosen by God to minister God's healing presence to the ends of the earth. And that doesn't require necessarily going to the ends of the earth, but it starts right where you are in your day-to-day living right here. And you see Haggai, you see him doing this. You see him inviting the people of God back into the covenant story because when he says things like, you've sown much, harvested little, looked for much, come to little, he's not just being poetic here, but he's actually echoing another sermon another prophetic word that the people of God have already heard. In fact, he's, he's echoing Moses' words, the greatest Israeli or Hebrew prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 28, where this is after the people of God have been saved from Egypt. This is after the people of God have been rescued through the wilderness and been, have been provided for for 40 years. And they're right on the edge of the promised land. And Moses speaks to them and he says, you, there are two ways. Choose this day. You can choose life. You can choose God's mission and his work of healing in this world. Or you can choose death. You can choose to to make those parts of your life important that the nations think are important, your wealth or your status, your social image, whatever. You can choose life or death. And Moses says these, these same kinds of things. He says, if you choose death, you'll build a house but you won't live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you won't enjoy its fruit. You'll plant olive trees, but you won't get oil. And finally, you'll find yourselves not living in the promised land, but living in exile. And so as Haggai stirs up their memory of this epic sermon from Moses, the the people of God in Haggai's time are gonna say, oh no, oh no, we are on the wrong track. We are doing the very things that put us in exile in the first place. Only a few years removed from Babylon and we're already on our way back there. Haggai says, consider your ways. Are things not working out for us because this is a trial and we just need to hold tightly to the Lord until he relieves this trial from us? Or are things not going well 
because we're clinging to something that is not the Lord and something that isn't going to satisfy. We're taking part in the wrong story. Let me give an example of of what it looked like for one person to reorient his life into the story that, that God is telling in our world through Jesus. And so there's an interesting interview last year uh, with an actor who in the first service, I called him James Garfield. His name is actually Andrew Garfield. I knew that. I forgot it. James Garfield is, of course, former president of the United States. So there's an interview with the actor Andrew Garfield. I don't think any relationship to James. And, uh, and he was talking about his preparation for his role where he would be playing a Jesuit priest in the movie Silence. And so as part of this preparation, he said, you know, I want to experience what the Jesuits experience as they prepare for their role uh, to serve as priests. And so he did this thing called the spiritual exercises. And we actually have a form of this that we do at Resurrection called Transformation Intensive. It's a nine-month program, but the Jesuits do it in about 30 days. It's this intensive retreat where you spend all of this time reading through the Gospels and then imagining yourself in those stories next to Jesus. And and Garfield, who had grown up uh, nominally Jewish, realized that he was captivated by Jesus. I mean, he had known something about Jesus before, but now his heart was compelled. He was captivated by Jesus and the Jesus that he met there. And so there's something that you do in the spiritual exercises where you try to think, what does my heart long for the most? What's my chief motivation in life? And you try to offer that to Jesus. And you try to not spiritualize this and not say, well, what my heart chiefly desires is just more time and fervent prayer with God's people, if that's not really what your heart desires. So Garfield thought about this, and he realized, what I want to offer to Jesus is this wound, this wound that comes through my acting, this wound that comes through my relationship. It's this wound of never feeling like what I do is enough. This this feeling of constant never-enoughness. Never good enough. Never right enough. And Garfield said that the experience of consolation, the experience of consolation that he experienced after giving this to Jesus has marked his life forever. I mean, he's still on a journey with the Lord. He He doesn't have everything figured out, but he'll never forget this experience with Jesus. In fact, he says, forget the movie. That's not nearly as important important to me as what I experienced in prayer during those 30 days. Because I gave Jesus my feelings of never being enough, and what Jesus gave back to me was humility. What Jesus gave back to me was vulnerability. What Jesus gave back to me was the willingness to sacrifice for what I understand to be the kingdom of God. He even gave back to me the willingness to suffer. This is this A-list Hollywood actor talking about suffering as perhaps part of his calling in life. And he said, and I experienced contentment that I'm, I'm still trying to get back to. A contentment in all of those things. That was the result of putting down his, his story of what it meant to be this A-list Hollywood actor whose name and face are are plastered all around the globe and taking up for a minute the story of Jesus and the way that Jesus is redeeming our world. 
Let me give you, let me give you one reason along these lines why taking up God's story is so much better than any other story that you could take up in this life, whether wealth or status or social image. Because all of those things are going to require you to be enough. They're going to require you to be smart enough. They're going to require you to be savvy enough. They're going to require you to be pretty enough. They're going to require you to be strong enough. They're going to require you to be good enough with your words. And it's going to be you, 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 being enough, using your talents and your social position to accomplish something, to do something great. But the one thing you can't earn, the one thing you can't be enough to receive is grace. You can't earn grace. You can't earn God's favor. You, when he gives it to you, you can't pay him back. You have only to receive it and to walk in it. You have only to receive the story of God's healing in this world and your little part in it and walk in it and do those things, whatever they might be in, in your work or in your family or in your school. Those sacrifices for the Lord, given what he's sacrificed for you. And the good thing about God is he doesn't need you. He didn't need the Israelites to build his temple. He was going to do it with or without them. He's faithful to his promises. So it's not that, that Jesus is saying, I need you. I can't do this without you. You owe me something. It's saying, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do this thing, and I want you to be part of it because I love you. I'm going to heal the world. I'm going to bring peace to our globe, and I want you to be a part of it. I want to partner in that with you. And that was the plan from the very beginning. If you look at the early pages of Genesis, God isn't just creating the world. He is creating a temple. He is creating a place to live with his people. He's creating a place where his peace would dwell and he would be in partnership with men and with women. And when Jesus calls you and me, he is calling you and I to be his temple stretching across the globe, bringing his healing presence to every place where it is not. That's where we're headed. That's the story. And you see that in the book. Because in chapter 1, verse 13, when the Israelites do consider their ways, when they repent, when they turn back to the Lord, and they start working on the temple, Haggai speaks on behalf of the Lord. He says, I am with you. Lord says, I am with you. And in the next chapter, when they're discouraged because their work they're doing doesn't seem so impressive, the temple they're building isn't nearly as, as impressive as the first temple, the Lord's going to say to them, be strong. Be strong even though this doesn't look impressive. Be strong even though you can't maybe see where all of this is headed. Be strong. Why? Because I am with you. In chapter 2, verse 7, he's going to say, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory. God's temple presence in this building was meant to be for the salvation of the whole world. It says, The latter glory shall be greater than the first, and in this place I will give peace. And Haggai is, is looking forward to that day when you and I, the body of Christ, 
become the temple presence of God here on this earth. That's what Paul says the church is in Ephesians chapter two. He says, in Jesus, you, each of you individually, each of our churches together are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You and I are being built into a temple, the place of God's presence for the healing of our world. And as individuals, you and I are ministers of God's healing presence. So long as that's the story that we're entering by our choices, so long as that's the story that we're entering through our prayers, through our decisions. And we're not always gonna get it right, and that's why we need to consider our ways. We need to face up to those, to those areas of our life where we started following something that was not God, where we started holding tightly to something that was not God and won't satisfy. And for you this morning, that might not be a, a huge, life-altering conversion experience. That might just be you reflecting here as the summer is drawing to a close. Where in my life are my priorities offline? What about my work? What about my family? What about my school life? What about my friendships? Doesn't line up with the story of redemption that God is telling in our world, that God is inviting us to be part of. Because the day is coming when the dwelling place of God will be with man. This is in the second to last chapter of the Bible. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God will be their God. There will be no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into this temple. Its gates will never shut. Its people will never be afraid. And the glory and the honor of the nations will be displayed there. Friends, consider your ways. What story are you living in? What car are you following? Is it going anywhere? Are you satisfied? Or are you experiencing some dissatisfaction that is directly related to that car that you're following? Are you experiencing dissatisfaction that's directly related to the fact that you've lost sight of the grand narrative that God is inviting you to be part of? Friends, take this, take this time to repent. Take this time to consider your ways because Jesus is inviting you to minister his healing presence into every station of your life, wherever you find yourself this morning. Jesus is with you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.